0: Have you tried peanut with your baby yet? So intact nuts and thick globs of nut butters are choking hazard for babies, so We can't do that, but we do need to get peanut protein into your baby early and often to help lower the risk of peanut allergy down the road. So my favorite way to do peanut for baby lead weaning is using the Puffworks Baby Peanut Puffs. Now, these are not those little starchy puffs that earlier eaters can't pick up, the ones you see at the grocery store in the container that oftentimes contain added sugar, sodium, and refined grains. No, the Puffworks Baby Peanut Puffs have no added sugar. They're about the size of your adult pinky finger, which is the perfect length for baby lead weaning so i have students and parents always asking about like different puffs i saw one today that a mom asked me about it had three different allergens in it which makes no sense because you can't observe for a reaction if your baby is trying three new allergenic foods at once how do you know which of the ingredients is causing the reaction the only potential allergenic ingredient in the Puffworks Baby peanut puffs is peanut. You can get 15% off of Puffworks Baby peanut puffs if you use my affiliate discount code BabyLed. So head to puffworks.com and enter that code BabyLed L-E-D, at checkout. And good luck to you guys trying peanut.
1: If you are in a situation where you've already had a tongue tie release and you've already worked through that, you can definitely have a little peace of mind of knowing that you've made it through a huge obstacle, a huge developmental period of time in your baby's life.
0: Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Baby Lead Weaning Made Easy podcast. I'm your host, Katie Ferraro, and today I'm being joined by a very special guest who's going to talk to us all about tongue ties and lip ties and how they do or do not affect your baby's ability to self-feed when it comes time to start solid foods. So my guest today is Shana Holman. She's a DDS PhD. So she's a dentist, but she's also done her PhD work and research in Infant suckling. And she knows a lot more about feeding than your typical dentist does. She runs an infant feeding clinic. She works very closely with speech language pathologists who specialize in feeding, as well as lactation consultants. She even has a baby massage therapist on her team. So, a really unique approach to helping to identify if there is a tongue tie and then whether or not they decide to treat it. And she's also going to talk to us a little bit about okay, what considerations should we make if you've had the tongue tie released? Or if you haven't had the tongue tie release, but maybe you're considering it, or you know, what if you need to do this for older babies? She'll explain why that's really not a good idea. I think you guys are gonna love this episode. Again, her name is Dr. Shayna Holman, and she's here to talk about tongue ties and lip ties and whether or not these affect our baby's ability to self-feed solid foods. All right, well, hello, Shayna. Thank you so much for joining me today on the podcast. Happy to be here. Alrighty, so You have a very interesting background. You are a dentist, but you also have a background. You have a PhD and you know a bit more about infant feeding than I would say most dentists do. So could you share just a little bit about your background and the type of work that you are currently doing with infants as it
1: pertains to feeding? Yes, absolutely. So I am a dentist based in Chapel Hill. I went to University of Maryland for dental school where I did a DDS PhD. So I basically did two years of dental school, then I left and worked on my PhD work, and then came back and finished dental school. My PhD is in biomedical sciences, and my dissertation project was all about infant sucking and the physiology behind it and the role specifically of oral sensation, which Usually people in the field of swallowing do not fully appreciate. They tend to appreciate more of the pharyngeal swallow and sensory in the oropharynx. So I was trying to show them that the oral sensory information is also important in the swallow. And I did a one-year residency in uh, more advanced dental procedures, and then I moved back home to Chapel Hill, North Carolina. I have started my own practice about two and a half years ago now, and a big part of my practice revolves around the airway and treatment of tongue ties and sleep apnea appliances. So on Mondays, we run an infant feeding clinic. It's a multidisciplinary clinic where I have an infant massage therapist and an infant uh, lactation consultant. The three of us do assessments for babies that are referred because they're suspected of having a tongue tie. We pride ourselves on being very conservative in our approach and very thorough in our conversations and evaluation. And if we all think there's a tongue tie present, then we can release it with a laser. And sometimes we don't think there's a tongue tie or we think there's other things we need to try first or rule out first. So we make those referrals.
0: You said you're very conservative, and I just noticed that word because I feel like a lot of other parents would agree that tongue ties are something that they never heard of until they struggle with breastfeeding. And then all of a sudden you look around and it's like, it feels like every single baby has a tongue tie. Do you think that there are practitioners who are less conservative and perhaps unnecessarily treating tongue ties that maybe aren't truly really problematic or even existent?
1: Absolutely. I think a lot of those people tend to be dentists. I think a lot of dentists don't really do their own assessment. They are just getting notes from a lactation consultant and doing a forklift under the tongue and looking and saying, okay, there's something there and I can remove it. And they're not really understanding the infant feeding physiology and really taking a step back. One thing we see pretty routinely in my practice is that the infant massage therapist will often find things going on with a baby that could explain a lot of their feeding difficulties, or it go, they're seeing things and I'm seeing things. So that's a piece that's often completely missed. I mean, the pediatrician doesn't even notice the things that a massage therapist can notice until a child is much older. But yeah, just so things like, when I say that, I mean things like torticollis, plagiocephaly, like when the head is not shaped properly. Often we see problems with nerve compression in the back of the head. So sometimes when I'm doing my suck exam, maybe there's a tongue tie, but the whole rhythm and reflexes around the suck are off. And often when we step aside and we discuss that and I say, you know, this just doesn't seem right, the massage therapist goes, oh yeah, there's a lot of nerve compression there. And it's like, oh, okay, that makes sense. So, you know, having that multidisciplinary approach is really important. Like I really couldn't imagine even making a diagnosis without having them there.
0: I think it's really cool that you have a multidisciplinary approach. Like I go to a typical pediatric dentist, like I've never seen a, an infant massage specialist or an IVCLC there. So I think it's really important that we do have the different disciplines involved. And I was curious if you could tell us a little bit more about how do tongue ties or lip ties or you've even heard of cheek ties, how do they occur? Are they genetic? Do all babies have them? Um, what's your take on that?
1: Yeah, a few different thoughts on that. I mean, I think there's a lot of debate about the prevalence because no one's screening for them at all. Like in the hospital, pediatricians don't know how to diagnose them. So they're just often missed. But I've heard estimates somewhere around like 5% or so. It's common enough that you're going to routinely see them. And then there's what looks like a tongue tie and what's actually functionally causing a problem. And those two things are different. Sometimes you can have one that looks really tied, but there's no functional Problems. So again, it kind of makes this whole thing much more complicated. As far as where they come from, they are thought to be genetically dominant. So there often is a parent that also has a tongue tie. So sometimes getting that history from a parent is helpful about they had maybe speech therapy or they had feeding therapy or they have a severe gag reflex or some of the other symptoms that you might see in an adult. Or maybe they say, oh, yeah, at birth, I had mine clipped as well. Or my mom told me that. Or my mom never breastfed me because she said it was too painful. So sometimes there's a little clue in there that it might be from one of the parents.
0: This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and works with your lifestyle as a parent or caregiver. BetterHelp connects you with a licensed therapist who can take you on the journey of self-discovery from wherever you are. And getting to know yourself can be a lifelong process, especially because we're always growing and changing. And I think this is particularly true for parents. I know firsthand how you can feel torn between your old, baby-free, carefree self and this new, very challenging role of parenting a small person. Therapy is all about deepening your self-awareness and understanding as well as talking through things that can help you know what you want or why you react the way you do. Discover your potential with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash weaning today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com help, slash weaning and get 10% off your first month today. Now you mentioned breastfeeding and we know that of course a baby that has a tongue tie, is it's going to be more challenging for breastfeeding. So a lot of our audience, they're parents of babies who are probably, they've figured out breastfeeding or bottle feeding. The baby is thriving on formula and or breast milk. But now we're moving into a new phase when it's time to start solid foods. And so I was curious if you could talk a little bit about considerations that parents and caregivers of children who have a tongue tie that's either been released or not released, and I know that the answer is kind of different there, what should they take into mind as they start this next phase, which is starting solid foods?
1: Yeah, a few different things. So sometimes I hear from parents that they know their child has a tongue tie, but their breastfeeding never bothered them or the baby's been able to gain weight and they just never really thought it was something to be addressed. And they come to see me because now they're starting solid foods and now they're having trouble. Some of the signs that your child might have a tongue tie that you might be noticing when introducing solid foods would be preferences for softer foods versus foods that require more chewing.
0: And could you explain why that is? Because I think you know a lot about the anatomy of the mouth, but I'm like, well, why would that be? Because if we only give our babies one texture, that we don't really know what their preferences are. We encourage parents to give a lot, of variety of different tastes and textures. And you're saying there might be an anatomical reason why they're preferring just the softer textures.
1: Exactly. So when you get food in your mouth, And you go to chew it. The role of the tongue is that your tongue is going to deposit the food onto your teeth. And then your teeth are going to chew the food. And then your teeth are going to your tongue's going to move that food back into the center of the tongue. And then the tongue collects and forms a bolus. So like a little mushy blob of food on your tongue. And then that bolus is swallowed. So the trouble that babies will run into, or again, not even babies, but even honestly children, adults all ages that have tongue ties, is that the when you ask them to chew food and then you have them open their mouth and show you there's no bolus it's just food scattered all around their mouth that makes it really hard to initiate a swallow it it makes it hard to chew without gagging on your food um so you have trouble like that so the ability of the tongue to move side to side is called lateralization and if you have a tongue tie it's very difficult for your tongue to lateralize enough to really chew food So some parents think their child just is a picky eater. And then you really start to ask questions about what they're eating. And you realize it's like mac and cheese and potatoes and just really soft foods that don't require almost any chewing. And the, that would be a reason to maybe suspect a tongue tie, especially if you ran into any of the issues with the breastfeeding or bottle feeding as well. Or maybe someone's already put this in your ear a little but that there might be a problem. You also just see a lot of gagging in kids that have tongue ties that haven't been released already and are trying to eat solid foods. The, the proper rest position of your tongue just when you're not eating any food at all is to have your lips closed and your tongue resting across the roof of your mouth. So if your tongue can't naturally rest in that area, it's going to make your mouth just really prone to gagging because your mouth is not used to anything touching it, like your tongue resting against the roof of your mouth like that. So you tend to see, again, all ages. I have adults that are tongue-tied that can't swallow pills, that can't take multiple gulps of water in a row, but just makes this gag reflex really strong. So that might also be a reason to get that something checked out. You might have even noticed a gag reflex when bottle feeding your baby or even breastfeeding or a reflux. So those are all these kind of signs that maybe there is something anatomical going on here.
0: And our audience knows that gagging is a natural and necessary part of learning how to eat. So they're anticipating and expecting some gagging. But you're saying that really a tongue tie can Cause the baby to have a very sensitive gag reflex. And of course, that, that's a subjective measurement. Um, but is that the correct interpretation of what you're saying?
1: Yeah, parents have often noticed this kind of thing already by the time they see me. Like when I give my baby a pacifier, they just gag on it. Or they've had a really hard time trying to find a correct bottle to use or a bottle that the baby can take because every bottle seems to just make them gag. People say they can tell there's, more, there's a lot of reflux. The baby's constantly spitting up. But a lot of times it's pretty distinct. It's not just going to be occasional gagging and not the gagging after chewing. It's going to be really anything enters their mouth and they're gagging. To even tell you what that looks like in an older child with a tongue tie, I recently had a five-year-old that was throwing up multiple times during the week and like it found it so hard to just eat regular meals because they're just continuously gagging.
0: Did that five-year-old have a tongue tie?
1: Yeah. And once released, it took a few weeks after the release but stopped gagging completely.
0: Well, wow, and you were talking, I know from speaking with you previously that there is the potential sometimes where older babies need a tongue tie release but you were telling me that it's much more advisable to have that tongue tie released prior to age one is that correct
1: if you're looking for benefits with um, with nursing it's ideal to do it before three months there's kind of diminishing returns on that after three months but before age one you're gonna not be dealing with such a large baby you're not going to be dealing with back teeth. And after you do the release, you need to do stretches of the wound area to make sure it heals well. So it's really difficult to do that if a child has molars. Definitely if you're talking about toddlers and doing tongue tie releases, that can really cause an oral aversion. In addition, you're not going to be able to stretch it well, so the chance it's going to reattach itself is really high. So I feel like the the risk benefit of that is kind of tricky when you're in the toddler phase. So just so much easier when they're really little, and they can jump into doing the right thing and you can stretch it and make sure it heals well. And then I do, I pick up with doing a lot of tongue tie releases starting again around age four, because that's a child that's old enough to work first with the an SLP and to have a full feeding assessment they're old enough to have anesthetic given where you can really talk to them about what to expect and how this is going to work. And they can be a participant with their own therapy afterwards to make sure their tongue can regain its function and learn to rest on the roof of its mouth. And lips can learn to stay closed and they can learn how to articulate certain sounds and how to do, and how to eat solid foods and swallow properly. So There's a lot more that goes into it when you're older. So it tends to be something just so easy and minor to do as a baby. And then you don't have to worry about all this stuff later on.
0: I'm not laughing, but you say like so easy and minor to do. And like as a parent of a child who had a tongue tie and I had a terrible, it was my oldest and she had, I just was so frustrated. She couldn't breastfeed. She latched perfectly, but she wouldn't transfer. And it turns out she'd had some nerve damage from uh, during the delivery. And we had her tongue tie released, even though it was probably unnecessary. And it was not done by a dentist with a laser. It was done by a very non-compassionate medical doctor with a pair of scissors. And there was a ton of blood and it was literally like the most, traumatic part of parenting. I have seven kids now and I can still cite that as the most traumatic thing I've ever had to do with my child. So like it's so routine, but it's nice to be with a practitioner for whom, oh gosh, this is run of the mill. This is common. Like I know you're speaking a little bit off the cuff, but I appreciate your confidence with it because I would have needed that as a first time mom, which I did want to ask because there's a lot of parents listening who have babies who have already had their tongue tie release. They're concerned. They want to know what should they be on the lookout for as they now transition from breastfeeding and or bottle feeding to solid foods. They've already had the tongue tie released.
1: Yeah, what I would say there is when babies are really little and have their tongue tie released, they tend to jump into doing all the kind of correct things really easily. But especially if your baby had their tongue tie released after three months old, you should be especially looking out for signs. The things that you want to be seeing in a baby that after having the tongue tie released is that they're sleeping with their mouth closed. The nasal breathing should be good. There should be no snoring, no issues like that. That should all show you good signs that their tongue is functioning like it should. If you're giving that baby a bottle, the most of the nipples should be in the baby's mouth. There should not be any chewing motion being seen, no chomping with the jaw. Again, those are signs that your tongue is doing what it needs to do. But sometimes you do have a situation where a baby's had a tongue tie release and they are still mouth breathing and they are still not able to feed very well or nurse very well or eat a bottle very well. Like there's other things going on. And those babies sometimes, even though their tongue's released, just are not lateralizing their tongue very well. And that would be also a reason to see an SLP or speech language pathologist, if you're feeling like, hey, I had this tongue tie release, but it really didn't fix any of these problems, then they might need to actually work with someone to do more exercises and training of the tongue.
0: And I've heard you say, I've heard you say that for every anterior tongue tie, there's usually a posterior component. So could parents sometimes assume maybe it wasn't all taken care of the one time it was released? Do you see that?
1: Absolutely. I treat a lot of tongue-tied babies that have already had releases that either reattached or were not fully released in the first place or just due to normal growth and development or maybe dealing with an unrelated issue of muscle tension. There's more tissue there that needs to be released.
0: My phone is bursting at the seams with photos of our kids. And over the years, I've tried all sorts of different ways to store and share them with family members. So for a while, I would just text out pictures to the grandparents. And then we tried a shared photo album. But some people were using Google Photos and others preferred Facebook Messenger for pictures. And the more kids we had, the messier it got. Then I stumbled across the Family Album app. The Family Album app was created to give parents a secure and easy way to share photos and videos with loved ones. It's a totally secure personal haven for your family's memories. I love that there's no third-party ads, no unwanted eyes, and it's totally free. No more scrolling through endless feeds or searching folders to find the picture of the kid that you need right now. Another cool feature about the Family Album app is you can order eight free photo prints every month to be delivered to your home. Which, if you think about how quickly your baby is changing, it's really nice to have some tangible pictures to hold onto or share to document the last month of your baby's life. If you're looking to level up your photo sharing and organization game with a secure, one-stop, easy-to-use photo organization app, head over to the App Store, search Family Album, download the Family Album app, and start creating a legacy of love, one photo at a time. As a mom of two children, I know you told me that you did do baby led weaning with your kids. So you're familiar with the baby led approach to feeding. And as a practitioner, then working with parents who have had babies that have had their tongue ties released, if there aren't these secondary problems, like it was, it was you who did it, you did a great job. Five and a half months later, the mom comes back and the baby's ready to start solid foods. If they haven't had complications with the tongue tie release, is there anything they need to take into consideration as they start solid foods?
1: Not really, that they should be really good to go. And they can eat of all variety
0: of textures and...
1: Absolutely.
0: No okay. So Dr. Shana, if we have parents and caregivers listening and they have had a baby with a tongue tie, some of whom maybe had it released or some who decided not to, is there any parting words of wisdom that you can give them as they transition into this period where they're starting solid foods with their baby?
1: Um, Yeah, a few thoughts. Um, if you are in a situation where you've already had a tongue tie release and you've already worked through that... You can definitely have a little peace of mind of knowing that you've made it through a huge obstacle, a huge developmental period of time in your baby's life, and you really have set them up for success with transitioning to solid foods. You know, you're much less likely to run into some of these issues than someone who has not had that path and already had it released. Your baby's much less likely to have sleep apnea or speech issues. And so this should be a much smoother experience from here on out. And if you haven't had the tongue tie released and you suspect there might be one, or someone's maybe already told you there is one and you haven't really felt like you want to address it yet, have some confidence in knowing that it, there's still plenty of time here. I and mean, if you can do it before age one, again, you're just going to save yourself a lot of headache down the road. And babies tend to jump into doing the right thing pretty well. And even if they need to work with a feeding specialist or feeding therapist, it's all relatively pretty minor. Um, and they'll be. Again, kind of on a road to success, not to be dramatic about it, but it's going to save a lot of headache down the road of having to involve a lot more specialists and deal with a much more complicated situation.
0: And I appreciate that because I think there's a lot of parents for whom that they kind of breathing a sigh of relief. Okay, the worst is behind me. Breastfeeding was challenging. We either figured out how to make it work or we decided to do bottle feeding. The baby is thriving as we move into this next phase, even with a tongue tie or having had the tongue tie released, you can succeed with your baby trying a variety of different textures as part of starting solids. And Dr. Shane, I was curious if for parents who they maybe don't know, they suspect that their baby might have a tongue tie. It seems like something everyone always talks about, but you don't want to speculate. You do want to get a diagnosis. What do you recommend for parents who suspect a tongue tie? What team member in the healthcare team should they see to kind of start this process of maybe figuring out if it's something that does need to be addressed?
1: Yeah, that's a great question because I think this becomes a big frustration for parents is that. Their dentist is not looking for it, their pediatrician's not looking for it. And and then when they mention or try to advocate for themselves, they're again talking to someone not very well even educated and sometimes those people very confidently will say there's no tongue tie instead of saying, Hey, I this isn't really something I have training in. So the type of person that's going to be the most helpful is a speech and language pathologist that is specifically trained to work with babies and with feeding issues. So that could be with solid foods or even with bottles. SLPs can be great with different trying to figure out a bottle that will work for you as well. Um, and they, they're they the specialist of the tongue. They, have deal, they deal with all functions of the tongue so they can strengthen those muscles and encourage the tongue to move more. And they can notice when the tongue physically is unable to do the things they're trying to teach it to do. Now, even some SLPs are taught that tongue ties and that diagnosis is outside of their field. There's even SLPs in the school system that will get in trouble for mentioning that a child might have a tongue tie. So you also have to be understanding of that fact. There's a specific training in orofacial myology that some SLPs have done, and that kind of training will give them a lot more background in tongue ties. So looking for something, some kind of continuing education or training in orofacial myology might end up helping you point, help point you to somebody that might be able to help a little bit better. They at least know how to do the fullest functional assessment and give that to a provider to show reason for concern about a tongue tie, even if they can't technically say that the baby has a tongue tie.
0: And I like that suggestion because I think parents always want to get a second opinion. But if like a healthcare provider tells you really definitively, now your baby's cool. You don't have a tongue tie. And you're like, all right, I got the word is we don't have a tongue tie you know, that might not actually be the situation. And even for parents who've already had the tongue tie release, they're sometimes surprised to know that, oh gosh, maybe there was a posterior component or the scar tissue, it, it did reattach. So sometimes a second opinion is helpful. I know with my own, my sixth and seventh babies were twins. And so I had I had had my first one with this traumatic experience with a tongue tie and the using the scissors and lots of blood and not able to breastfeed. And then the last two, I was worried because I was like just looking and looking at pictures and, you know, go to the tongue tie clinic. And I loved the doctor there because she looked at both of them. She goes, Nope, they're fine. She's like, you probably go to five other doctors who would tell you that that baby has a tongue tie and would need to have it released. But I do 30 of these a day or whatever it was. And she gave me the confidence. And sometimes you're looking for a problem that's not really there. And I appreciated hearing that as well, because I, didn't want to have to deal with that again. So I just want to say thank you for being here and sharing this information because it is a confusing situation to parents and they're not sure what to do. And sometimes the onus is on the parents to make the decision. So being educated from a variety of different healthcare providers who are involved in this, I love that you have IBCLCs that work with you to help you identify if there might be a problem or the infant massage therapist that you work with SLPs who are specializing in feeding that you're on a podcast with a registered dietitian who specializes in baby led weaning. I think that this is, you know, how we take that whole body approach for babies, because there is no one healthcare professional or credential that is, you know, authorized to or even has the skill set to deal with all of this. And as a a dietitian, I teach in medical schools as well. And I love to remind parents that 90% of physicians in this country have never had a dedicated nutrition class. So parents get just as frustrated when they go to the doctor and the pediatrician to ask questions about feeding, and they kind of get blown off. It's not because the question's not important. It's because the person you're asking the question doesn't necessarily know the answer. So knowing where to get the answer, I think is helpful. And why being able to share expertise like yours on a podcast, it's so beneficial to our audience. And in closing, if you don't mind, could you tell us where the audience could go to learn more about you and your practice? I know you guys are on Instagram. I think the services that you offer in North Carolina are really unique. Where can we learn more about you, Dr. Shana?
1: Yeah, you can go to my website, which is Holman FDC for Family Dental Care.com. And that website, we have a page about infant feeding. And it describes kind of the setup of our clinic. So that would be a good resource. And you can feel free to email me. I've tried to do good about staying on top of my emails. You're
0: amazing at email. I just want to point that out. She actually responds. I'll go ahead and put all of the links that you're mentioning, by the way, on the show notes page for this podcast episode, which is blwpodcast.com slash um, 52. What about your Instagram?
1: Yeah. And Instagram is at Holman Family Dental Care and Holman is H-O-L-M-A-N.
0: Wonderful. Well, thank you again so much for being here. I really appreciate it. If you guys want to check out all of the resources that Dr. Shannon was mentioning, again, it's on the show notes for this episode, which is at com slash 52. Thank you again so much. I really appreciate it. Okay, well, I hope you guys enjoyed that episode with Dr. Shana Holman. She has such a unique perspective on feeding that I think many, no, like no other healthcare professionals really have. Like most dentists don't do anything about infant feeding. She also has the background with having done all the research in feeding. And she works with such a unique team of professionals to really help that whole Whole body approach when it comes to things like a tongue tie, because there's not just one credentialed professional who has the skill set and the expertise to even know if there's a problem and exactly what to do and then how to help the baby recover and then transition to different phases. So, this was an episode idea that a mom of a baby who just had a tongue tie released gave me. She wrote me a review on Apple Podcasts, and that's where I go to get all of my new episode ideas. So, if you guys have any ideas. For more episodes that you would like to hear on this podcast, if you're enjoying the podcast, please do leave me a written review on Apple Podcasts. It means the world to me. It really helps the podcast get found. I do read every single review. I actually just had a birthday party for my oldest daughter and we did this like little teepee sleepover for the cousin the girl cousins and the sisters and when she was cleaning up the lady who runs the business was like can you please leave me a review and I was like "huh oh, yeah and she's like no 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 people always say they're gonna leave a review and then they never do and I was like oh my gosh you're totally right so I have to definitely went to my computer and left her review. So if you guys are liking the podcast, please would you leave me a review on Apple podcast and then let me know what your episode idea is. I would love to bring you more guests like Dr. Shayna Holman talking about things that are related to feeding, like how can my baby with a lip tie or a tongue tie do baby led weaning? So thanks again for listening, guys. Have a great day and I'll see you next time. Bye now. Like a lot of moms out there, I will totally admit I am quite type A. I am a total taskmaster. And one of my weekly work tasks is to review the feedback forms that our new students in my program, which is called Baby Led Weaning with Katie Ferraro, that they leave for us. So basically, this form asks a lot of questions about you and your baby and your baby's feeding and medical history, any concerns that you might have or fears about starting solid foods. And all of this data helps me when I'm answering parent questions inside of our weekly live office hours so I can then tailor my response to your particular baby and situation, right? Because it's not a one-size-fits-all approach when it comes to what your baby's eating, right? Because maybe your baby has an egg allergy or another mom in the program. She might really be struggling with how to make meat safe because she doesn't like to cook. So this week on the forum, there's a new mom named Janine, and she wrote, and this is her quote, I researched a lot on the internet, and I have a lot of books. I saw a lot of other baby-led weaning programs, but in the end, this is the one that I realized is what I'm really looking for as a new mom. I love that Katie's program has a community and that there are videos for everything you need to know and how to make the foods. And what I love the most is that there's already a meal plan ready. And this just like stopped my heart because this is exactly why I created the Baby Lead Weaning with Katie Ferraro program. I wanted to literally put everything that you need to know about starting solid food safely in one place with a super easy to follow 20 full weeks meal plan. Okay. There's 20 weeks because it's five foods a week. I want your baby to get to those hundred new foods before they turn one. Cause I also know you have a lot going on as a new mom and hunting and pecking all over the internet to try to figure out what am I going to feed this baby? That is not the solution. So if you want to check out the baby led weaning with Katie Ferraro program, I would be honored to work with you and your baby. You can head to babyledweaning.co to get started. And hopefully I'll be reading your feedback soon too.